Um, when the teaching team got together, oh, and by the way, I'm Drew. If you don't know, I'm Drew. I'm on staff here with Living Waters. I'm part of the teaching team, and I do a few of the things around here. But um, when our, the teaching team, which consists currently of uh, me and Kim and Ryan and sometimes Garris, got together, and Garris wasn't a part of this, but we got together to you know discuss our, our message series, and we've, we've been in um, in the Book of Acts, you know, to be continued. We we thought that up. That was that was great. Uh, we were in Words in Red before, and where we have slipped in to this Sunday moving forward is the season of Advent. So I don't know if you didn't know that, but we are now in Advent. And for some of you, you're looking at me like, what does that mean? And my confession is that Kim and I were talking, knowing that we were going to be preaching on Advent, and in the moment of rare honesty, not rare honesty between Kim and I, if you know either of us, we're honest all the time, too much so sometimes. I looked at her and I said, um, so we're preaching on Advent. She goes, yeah. I said, what exactly is Advent? She goes, I don't know. <laughs> and we were like, we're bad Christians. You know, it's just kind of that, that sense that we were like, oh, oh no, we're preaching on this and we don't quite know what it is. Um, but the, the, the thing is, is I grew up in church services. And so there was Advent every Christmas season. And honestly, as I began searching my mind of what I picked up on that, Growing up, I picked up a few things. There was a wreath, and there were candles, and the candle colors did not match, which always drew me crazy because I'm a little OCD, and I'm like, they should all match. Like, who forgot to get matching candles is what always was in my head. And then it seemed like in those services, every, every year and every season that I was a part of a church that celebrated Advent, there was always a family that got to come up and do the reading for Advent, and it was this awkward moment where the lighters didn't light or something and the candles wouldn't light. And it was this weird, like, and now they're going to mechanically recite this scripture and we're supposed to draw deep meaning from this. And then we move on to whatever it was we were preaching through. And it just, it felt lost. And so if any of you out there are going Advent and you don't quite know what that is, even if you've been in church your whole life, you are not alone. <laughs> like, we miss the meaning of this often in the tradition we miss the meaning of this often, and we don't understand the, the, the heart and the purpose of Advent. And so um, you're kind of getting two messages in one this morning. You're going to get a message from me in the beginning on just talking about Advent, and then we're going to talk about this first week of Advent. So are we all ready for that? Has the tryptophan from the turkey wore off? Are you all clear-headed and ready to go? Great. I'm not, but that's Okay. Um, the first thing I'd like to share with you is, is that Advent itself, it comes from the root word Adventus, which means coming or visitation. And that's something that we have to keep in mind in this season of Advent. It's a season of expectation of the coming of Jesus. And for, for us, that, that seems odd because Jesus has already come. You know, we know he's come. He was born in the manger, and he was the baby Jesus, and the wise men came. And we have all the celebrations that we have now because Jesus came. But we are living in this tension between his coming as a child and his coming as our reigning king. And in the season of Advent, although we are celebrating the birth of Jesus in the weeks preceding Christmas, it is this invitation for us to come into this awareness that we are still waiting for his coming. We have experienced his first coming, and we are waiting for a second coming. And that's something that... that Honestly, in the, in, the, in the busyness of the season, I forget to do. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I come from a blended family. 
So I, my parents divorced when I was really young, and then I married um, Suzanne, and she comes from a tribe of 85,000 people. And, and in the holiday seasons for the last 13 years of our marriage, it's never been easy because she comes from a family that lives in Seattle, and then her parents moved up to like Bellingham, Linden, Washington, just right next to the Canadian border. And my one set of my parents live in Yakima, Washington, which is central Washington. Another set of parents lived in Longview, Washington, and we lived in Portland. And so it was like, and you will got to know every one of them wants to see you on Christmas. And so if you can imagine you live in Portland and you decide how to plan the route. So you go to Longview first, and then you travel up I-5 to Bellingham, and then you come back down from Bellingham to Bellevue to see the remnants of the tribe. And then you go from Bellevue across I-90 and Snoqualmie Pass on Christmas Day, down through Ellensburg into Yakima, and then you travel back to Portland, and then you're just in time for my mom's birthday, which is New Year's Eve, where you have to go back to Longview. And then back, and it's just like, oh Lord, oh Lord, Christmas is not restful. You know, and that's just like the family dynamic. If we add into that the fact that the Christmas season starts before your first, your last bite of Thanksgiving dinner is swallowed, people are like running to the stores for Black Friday, which now isn't even on Friday. How many of you have ever done that, that Black Friday shopping experience? I will never do that again. <laughs> like, there was a year where, where Susan and I, we went to Clackamas Town Center in Portland at midnight and yeah, I, that was the night I learned I hated millennials. Um, I'm just kidding. I love, I love millennials. I love you all. I love the millennials. I don't love you on Black Friday. Um, and it's just this, this mad rush of consumerism to try to go and buy on sale. And it's like in the midst of that, like we forget what we're, what we're celebrating because we're so frenzied to find the right gift or so frenzied to find the sale or so frenzied and it's we're missing the point and it's like you know I've, I've heard it explained before well why do we give gifts and we try to spiritualize it a bit well because the wise men gave Jesus gifts all right well give me some frankincense and we'll call it good it smells good it is expensive like a bottle like this big is a hundred bucks something like that it's ridiculous but you know we we get into this frenzy of of buying and of 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 rushing and and where in that time are we sitting and and waiting where in that time are we sitting and and thinking about the coming of Jesus I have to be honest with you in the last 13 plus years of having a family and and rushing through this I I can honestly say that as I studied the meaning of Advent and the purpose of Advent, I felt a little bit disappointed and ashamed of myself for the lack of contemplation and stillness before the Lord in this season where everything is so busy and so frenzied and so so out of control that I've forgotten to remember why I'm celebrating. And so I think that one of the first things I want to say to us about Advent is that this is an invitation for us to slow down to slow down, to not keep up in the pace that our world would try to, to pull us into in Christmas, but to slow down and to, to invite room for Jesus to speak to us and remind us what we're waiting for, to remind us how to celebrate him. It's a season of preparation. And one thing I want to encourage us to do is to intentionally walk into the season with our heart 
preparing to receive and, and host Jesus. That's something that is so important for us, is to make that space in preparation in our hearts to allow Christ to dwell in us and to, to breathe in us and to, to influence us and to, to engage with us. And that's something that in the midst of this season we don't often do. So I want to encourage us right now in the season, the first thing about Advent, when we think about Advent, more than just a calendar, more than just, you know, candles in a wreath, it is an invitation for us to prepare our hearts to receive the coming of Jesus. And honestly, it, it, it's such an incredibly beautiful invitation. It's such an incredibly beautiful invitation. You know, God is Emmanuel. He is, he is God with us. He is God in flesh. And it is such an incredible thought to, to imagine, okay, well, if we prepare our hearts in this season to receive him and, and partner with him in incarnation, what does that mean for us and how do we live that out as we as we receive him and as we make room for him because this season of advent it's not just a season to slow down it's a season to embody Christ to those around us see that's one of the beautiful things about christmas in the season is it does tend to draw generosity out of us but it's a little bit misplaced cuz you know honestly i'm i'm not a big gift giver you know the love languages like you know physical touch words of affirmation gifts gifts don't matter to me like i don't care about gifts I don't, you know, to give a gift is, like, obligatory. To receive a gift is, like, well, I needed that. Thank you. You know, it's not, it doesn't, it's not a big thing to me. It's a big thing to my wife, but it's not a big thing to me. Yet in Christmas, I want to start giving gifts. So there's a natural sense in the season that it, it begins to inspire generosity. And we know, we know that one of the reasons that is is because God gave us such an incredible gift in Jesus. And so there is that reaction but what I want to encourage us to do is to, to not go the normal route of the gift that we give being the thing in the package. To think more incarnationally. Like, what does it mean to embody Christ as a gift to other people? Because when Christ came, he came not bearing gifts. He was the gift. His gift was his presence. It was his incarnation. It was his words spoken. It was his encounter with humanity. And so... How can we begin to embody that as his followers, as his representation here on earth? How do we begin to mimic Jesus in the way that we embody his incarnation in this season? I'll tell you one thing. It'll be a lot easier on our pocketbooks and our savings account and our checking account if we change our perspective on what it is to be a gift and what it is to give a gift that is bigger than, I don't know, the thing we can't remember that we got from last year. I mean, I was thinking about it, like, what gifts did I give and what gifts did I receive for Christmas over the last three years? And the only reason why I can remember a few of them is because my father-in-law is exceptionally good at giving, like, clothes. And I still wear the coats that he gave me. But honestly, I cannot think of some of the other gifts I was given by other people because they didn't matter. Do you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Like, so... I want to challenge us to begin to think more incarnationally in the season of Advent of what does it look like to give not a thing, but ourselves. Not an item, but, a, but, a, but an incarnation. What would that look like? Ryan, 
who is on vacation, and Ryan's definition of vacation is different from any other human on earth. And if you don't know him, you, you would begin to understand this. He still works, and he sends emails and like texts, and like, how are things going? Here's my suggestion for this. And I'm like, shut up, you're on vacation. But he sent me a list of gift suggestions of what it would look like instead to give gifts that are more incarnational. And so I loved it, so I'm, I'm stealing it, and I'm going to give him credit, but I'm going to use it here, and I'm going to ask us to think about this in this process of Advent and incarnational living and being the presence of Christ. What kind of gifts can we give? Well, to yourselves, give grace. You know, it's not as costly as we think it is for us to give grace, but we all could use it for ourselves. Amen? To our kids— a hero to look to. A hero to look to. Now that can take on a lot of forms. You know, one way I discovered with my kids this week that, that they look to me, it sounds really weird, but I had a pillow fight with them. Now, in that case, I was the villain, but you know, <laughs> but there was something heroic about it where we just had this epic pillow fight and every blessed day since, they're like, pillow fight time. And I'm like, that was a costly gift, Drew. Um, <laughs> but when we give our kids a hero to look to, we're giving them something that has no, no, no value monetarily, but has eternal value. It sets an example, and it sets a legacy for them to follow. And that has incredible value. To a friend, your heart. Now, that might seem, uh, you know, intangible, but uh, man... We are walking among people every day that we have our own hurts and our pains and our struggles that we're dealing with. This is the holiday season, which means that a lot of us are around family more often than not. And for some of us, it's not a good thing. That's a heavy thing. That's a difficult thing. It brings up issues. It brings up brokenness. It brings up pain, and it brings up past. And man, if you can offer a friend your heart, a listening ear, compassion and consolation. You know, in, in, in my world, friends are God's apology for family. <laughs> we also call them the family you choose, not the family you were given. You know, we also call family the other F word. But, you know, it's, that was terrible. That should be deleted from the message right now because my family will listen. So, um, but when you offer your friend your heart, you're inviting people into to relationship, into most often when it's a friendship, safe relationship. And that's so important because so often our family relationships or the relationships we're forced to interact with during the season are not really safe for us. They're loaded with offenses and they're loaded with history. And, and to offer a friend your heart is such a beautiful gift. To your enemy, forgiveness. This fits right in with what we're talking about to forgive offenses, to an opponent, the other cheek, to the hurting, compassion, to the orphans, a family, to the lost, a companion on the road home, to the downtrodden, a hand up, to a divided world, reconciliation, to all, generosity, and to God, your whole life. Now, not a bit of those have a monetary expense to them necessarily, but they do cost us something personally, and they're an investment of who we are, our presence. You see, Jesus gave presence. He didn't give presents. 
He gave his presence. And that's really what I want to challenge us in the season of Advent as we are waiting for the coming of Jesus. We're, we're anticipating, we're making room. We're understanding that, that God's presence is God with us, God in flesh. We have a unique opportunity as we bear the Holy Spirit in us, as we are the carriers of God to the world around us, we have the opportunity to model that sense of presence in the world around us that so desperately needs exactly what Jesus gave us. Amen? So I want to challenge us to not, to not be entrapped by the, the way that the holiday season has been in the past or by the, while the world would dictate it go, but instead um, be more incarnational. Now, years ago, there were about four different churches who, who took on kind of a mission to change the culture of Advent for their, for their churches, and, and they developed this thing called the Advent Conspiracy. Have you ever heard of it? Well, it was a few churches. One of them was in Portland, Oregon, Imago Day Church in Portland, Oregon, and they had four tenets of the Advent Conspiracy, and it was this. Worship fully, meaning pour your heart out in worship to God, fully engaging in worship. Second, spend less. Spend less money. Third, give more. Not out of, you know, money, but out of your presence, your time, your, your personality. Make gifts if you have to, but give more. Be more personal. And fourth was love all. And it was that, that call to begin to do different with Advent. And I want to encourage us to do the same. To step into this season not focused on how to prepare for Christmas, but how to prepare for Jesus. Walk into this season with a keen awareness that we are celebrating a great gift from God and that we have a gift to offer other people. Walk into this season caring less about the, the items under the tree and more the presence that you offer those around you. What presence am I offering every day, every moment? Be more generous. Now, if you remember, I gave a sermon a couple weeks back about how one of the first signs of the church, of the supernatural life, is supernatural generosity. If you don't remember that sermon, it was on, you know, a couple weeks back. But I want to encourage us to ask the Holy Spirit to know how to be supernaturally generous in this season. And then just to be loving. And that's tempting not to be in the, in the, the fray of the Christmas season because we get busy, we get stressed out, we get pushed from thing to thing, and, and love is one of the first things to go as we try to get everything done in the season. And so I just want to encourage us to do that. That's message number one. So let's talk about message number two. So in Advent, each week of Advent has a different theme, and each one points back to Jesus. And, and the way that it's going to go this, this uh, season for us here is that we're going to these, cover these three four things. Number one, Jesus is our hope. He is our peace, he is our joy, and he is our love. So this first week is Jesus is our hope. And I want to define hope for us real quick. Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. It seems simple, but often when we talk about hope, we almost feel like it has to be something that has been fulfilled. I can have hope because it's happened. But hope isn't because it's happened or we've had every wish fulfilled. Hope is the expectation for something to happen. Hope is that, that faith engagement where we look at the character or the promise of someone and we know that they will be faithful to fulfill what they said they, they, that they would do. 
They'll be faithful to offer what they said they would offer. Their character determines how they're going to behave towards us, and therefore we have hope based on those things. And so if Jesus is our hope, that is the first week of Advent when we look at it. And I want to say this. Jesus is our hope for the future, but Jesus was the hope of those in the past as well. Jesus has always been hope. And when we talk about this season of Advent, and we talk about waiting, and we talk about waiting for hope, we as a people, as the church, and as his chosen people, have always been in the process of waiting. So I want to talk about this and about hope. Now, what do we have to hope for, and why do we need hope? Well, because we're screwed up. We live in a broken world, amen? And we've been living in a broken world for thousands upon thousands of years. So what I love about what Tori shared this morning is that before the foundation time, God had made up his mind about us. And what I love about that is before the foundation of time, if he had made up his mind about us, he also knew what we were going to do, and he had in mind the gospel and redemption well before there was ever a fall. And so I want to start with hope at the very beginning. And so we look at the very beginning. We know Adam and Eve, and this is a the story many of us are familiar with. Adam and Eve lived in perfect relationship with God in the Garden of Eden. Lived in perfect, unspoiled paradise. And then they fell. They sinned. And in that, they incurred the curse, that, that brokenness of humanity. And even in the midst of the punishment for their sin, we have hope. We have the first utterings of hope of a God who knew what was going to happen, and before it ever happened, had in mind what he would do. Now, this is, uh, this is like a little breadcrumb of hope. In Genesis 3.15, it says, and he has, he's talking about Eve, and he's talking about the serpent, and he's talking about, you know, he's, he's addressing the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you he will strike at his heel. And now, this is true naturally, like snakes strike at our heels. And, you know, if we're quick, we stomp on their heads, which if you've ever done that before, it's risky. <laughs> but this isn't necessarily talking about snakes and humans. This is talking about Jesus, the offspring of woman, crushing the head of Satan. So right at the fall, God is already prophesying that from woman will come someone who will crush the head of Satan. In the very beginning, there's hope. And then as it goes forward, we see in Genesis 12, uh, well, actually, I don't even want to go to Genesis 12 yet, because even before that, we see the story of Scripture, and we see, like, these generations after Adam, and it just becomes a mess. And then we know that there is, what, Noah and the flood, correct? It got so messy in 10 generations from Adam that God had to basically control Alt-Delete on the earth and just start it over. But even then, even then, he was telling of hope. Now, this is something that I'd heard years back from a Bible teacher that just blew my mind. And how many of you know that names in the scriptures have meaning? Right? Okay, so every name has a meaning. But when you think about, you, you, you might just think, well, that's a weird meaning for your name. But when you, when you see how they go together and what God is saying, even from the beginning of the narrative of scripture, it's amazing. I'll, I'll give you this. Adam means man. Seth means appointed. Enosh, which is Seth's son, means mortal. Uh, Kenan, which is Enosh's son, means sorrow. Mahalalel, which sounds Pentecostal. <laughs> Mahalalel, you know, you, you know what I mean. 
Mahalalel means the blessed God. Jared, his son, means shall come down. Enoch, his son, means teaching. Methuselah means his, his death shall bring, which is a very odd name. But that was purposeful, too, because God told Noah, or rather told Enoch, that um, Methuselah would not, I mean, well, his death would bring like the, the flood, the, the curse of the flood would come while Lamech was still, his son was still alive. I mean, it was just the way that it was going to work. So his, his death shall bring. His son Lamech means the despairing, and Noah means rest or comfort. But when you put them all together, you see this. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching, and his death shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. Hope in the names, the disconnected, disjointed names. God is already telling the gospel story. Man has been broken, and he's full of sorrow, and he's going to die. But the blessed God will come down, Emmanuel, God in flesh. He'll come down teaching, and he will bring the despairing. His death shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. Oh, my word, the gospel before we even get to Abraham. And then we get to Abraham in Genesis 12, and I'm not going to read it all, but he says to to Abraham, I'm going to bless all nations of the world through you, meaning the Savior is going to come from your line. Everyone in the world, the chosen people and the Gentiles, are going to be blessed through you because Christ is coming from your lineage. And another promise of the Messiah. And I could go over all the prophecies, but it would take all my time, and I'm already running out. My first message was longer than I thought. But we get to Isaiah 7, 14, and it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. And time after time you hear, in the thousands of years from the garden to the birth of Jesus, there is promise after promise after promise of hope. And Jesus comes, and the story that I want to bring up to you, if you go to your scripture, in your Bible, it says Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 22. If you have a Bible, go there. If you have an electronic device with a Bible, go there, because I don't have it on the screen. So, and some of you have neither, so I'm just going to read it to you. So Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 38, says this. This is after the birth of Jesus. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called uh, Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penula, 
uh, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 years old. She never left the temple but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now I share that story because here were two people who were preparing and waiting for the Messiah. They were in a constant state of Advent. And it's beautiful because the Lord had spoken to Simeon and he had told him, you will not die until you see the Messiah. And Anna, she hadn't necessarily received that promise, but man, was she preparing her heart and was she constantly before the Lord, worshiping and praying. And in that state, even though maybe she wasn't promised that, she got to experience it and see it too. And it's such a beautiful picture as those that had waited thousands of years for the coming of this hope that was spoken from, in Scripture from Genesis 3 multiple times through. They saw it. They saw it in Jesus. And they had hope fulfilled. Now we live in a different season. We live in a season where Jesus has come. And we, we haven't necessarily seen him ourselves. But we've, we've read about him. And we've experienced the movement of him on our hearts. We sense him, but we haven't seen him. And so although he has come and we know him by name and we know what he's done and we know what he has prepared for us, we are also waiting like Simeon and like Anna for that return, for him to come back. Because we still live in a season of, of disorder. And even though we know that spiritually we are seated in the heavenlies with Christ, physically we're here, right? And I don't know about you, but I don't feel so heavenly sometimes. You know, it, it's this tension of living in the, in the now, but the not yet. Like where we're living in that period of knowing Jesus has come, but we're waiting for him to come back and make things right. So we still are living in hope. And what are we hoping for? 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says this, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Revelation 21, 4 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 Timothy 4.10, that is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially those who believe. 1 Corinthians 15.19-23, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Church, we are hoping for something that we don't even begin to know how to process the beauty and the power and the glory of. We are hoping in the restoration of all things 
the return back to perfection, that return back to perfect communion with with God, that return back to glorified bodies. Hallelujah, glorified bodies. Man, I'm about to turn 40, and I don't even know where these aches and pains are coming from. Some of you who are longer in age know exactly what I'm talking about. Like you wake up from a restful night's sleep and you've somehow hurt yourself. (laughs) That's not a glorified body. I'm looking forward in hope not just to that, but to the restoration of all things. I'm looking forward to seeing God's purpose and plan in every single thing, even the things that Satan meant to destroy me, seeing how God has woven together in his grace and mercy glory through the things that hurt me. I am looking forward to seeing people that I once had an interaction with, maybe shared a kind word in Christ to, and didn't know the rest of the story, but seeing in full what God knew would happen. I'm looking forward to seeing the people who have gone before me in Christ, and I know at this side of eternity didn't necessarily see everything that they believed, but now they see it and now they know. And I'm looking forward to seeing my grandpa, who was faithful in Christ, but he was broken. I'm looking forward to seeing him pain-free and fully restored and in perfect communion with the Lord. I'm looking forward to so much. I have hope for so much. And yet we live now in this opportunity that, that all of those before us in those thousands of years before Jesus did not have. They did not have Emmanuel. They hoped for him, but we have him. We have Christ with us. We have him in us all of us, and yet we get to hope for even more. Because of that, the scripture also says, 1 Peter three fifteen. but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asked the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Church, we have not just an opportunity, but a, but a mandate from the Lord to give an answer for the hope that we have. We have hope because Christ has come and he is coming again. We have hope because Christ has come and he is coming again. And if in no other season of life, I understand that life is busy and we don't always have the wherewithal to focus on that reality. But in this next four weeks, church, can we prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus? Can we focus and spend the season of Advent silencing every other voice and and choosing instead to focus on the reality that we have a God who came and is coming again? And can we live in such a way that because of that hope, don't we want to share it? Don't we want to make sure that others have that hope too? I'll leave us with this one thing because I know, I know how much distracts us. I know how distracted I get. And I'm in full time, this is my vocation to be (laughs) Jesus-like. And it's a challenge. And I know how challenging it is for me and how distracted I get with life. And so I can, it's hard. But I was reading this quote. It has nothing to do with Christmas. It, it's just this quote about um, uh, this, this older man in the faith, John Wesley. He was an amazing man in the faith. He established um, colleges, and he was a traveling evangelist, and he was an amazing guy. But you know who was more amazing? His mom. His mom was pretty darn amazing. And so in a letter he wrote to her, he asked for her to define for him what sin was. And I don't want to camp on sin this morning, but 
but I, I just want to read you what she said and, uh, and let it challenge our hearts as we begin to wrestle with what distracts us. And she said this to him, take this rule, whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off relish of spiritual things. That thing is sin to you, however innocent it might be in itself. And so church, can I challenge us that in this season of Advent, whatever weakens our reason, impairs the tenderness of our conscience towards God, or obscures our sense of God, or takes the relish of God or spiritual things away from us, that for us is sin. Whatever, however innocent it might be, can we choose to allow the Lord to speak to us on those things and put aside some of the things that are just robbing us of our joy and our hope and experiencing the fullness of the presence of God in our life now? Can we just for this next four weeks intentionally put those things down, feeling no shame over them, feeling no condemnation over them, but rather purposeful engagement with the Holy Spirit to put those things down and invite the Lord to prepare our hearts for him? I'll say this one last thing. One of my favorite Christmas songs is O Holy Night. I love it. And the, the, the verse that has always resonated in my heart, because I've experienced this, and I know we all have too, long way lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Church, the world is pining away in, in, in error and sin. But we, but we, we have felt our soul's worth from the appearing of Jesus, from the coming of Jesus. And we have the thrill of hope to offer the weary world. Can we be like a light breaking the horizon in the dawn? Can we be that this season? Can we put the things down that are of no value eternally? prepare room in our hearts and our homes and our in our lives for that invitational presence of God to come in can we prepare our hearts for his coming and can we celebrate christmas in a very very different way this year that is advent it's not candles it's not ritual it's expectation let me pray for us lord jesus Thank you. I love the song we sang. You didn't have to come, but you chose to. You always choose to. So Lord, right now I just ask that all of us, why don't we stand? Lord, we invite your presence. We invite your presence into our lives to come and to make room. Let's just spend just a moment in silence with the Lord and ask him this, this question. And he, trust me, he won't make it overwhelming. Just ask him, Lord, what, what do I need to, to put down to make room? What do I need to put down?
Lord, because I know you're faithful. I know you speak to us and I know that you want our hearts and our attention. I know that you either right now or throughout the day will be bringing these things to mind. And so, Lord, I just pray that each one of my brothers and sisters, myself included, each one of us would make that space for you and that our hearts would be awakened to the thrill of hope again where maybe we've been distracted or maybe we've just been in this drudgery for so long at times we, we get so used to this that we don't remember what we're hoping for. Lord, pour your spirit out in us as we make room for you. Fill us and ignite hope. Jesus, you are our hope. Lord, we make room for you this season. We invite you, come. We love you, Lord God, and we bless you. In Christ's name, amen.